Good morning. I am guessing that most of us are familiar with the litmus paper test. For those of us who have no interest in chemistry, please bear with me. It is a paper that is used to test whether a given liquid is acidic or base in nature. Depending on what the solution is, the litmus paper changes its color. The color will tell us what solution it is. So if the blue litmus paper changes into pink, it's acidic. And if the red litmus paper changes into blue, it is base. We call this the litmus test. It is a test to know what kind of solution you have in your hands. And off late, this expression, litmus test, has been used as a metaphor to describe the act of determining the truth of a situation. So people, if they want to know, if they want to decide on whether some things are true, they use the expression, let's do a litmus test. In the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verses 1 to 4, John gives us a litmus test to know whether you possess the spirit of God or the spirit of Antichrist. Whether you belong to God or whether you belong to the devil. Let me, uh, before we dive into 1 John chapter 4, let me just get into the context. This is um, 1 John chapter 3 and verses 1 to 10. John Norris preached in this passage, and he said that children of God love darkness. Sorry, righteousness. What am I saying? Children of God loves righteousness. Children of the devil practice unrighteousness. Scott Zeller preached on 3 verse 11 to 24, and he said that righteousness would look like a life marked by love. So children of God are marked by love. Children of the devil are marked by hatred. And here's how John concludes in chapter 3, verse 24. Let me read it for you. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. The one who obeys God is the one who has God dwelling in him and he abiding in God. And the way we know that God abides in us is from the spirit he has given us. This is how we know God remains in us. He has given us his spirit. So how do you know that the spirit abides in you? John is going to answer that. John is going to give us two lit litmus tests to determine whether a person has the spirit of truth or the spirit of error. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 4 and verses 1 to 6. The first litmus test is this. What is your confession? What is your confession about Jesus Christ? Verse 2 reads, By this you know the Spirit of God. And here's a test that will help you discern whether it is the Spirit of God that is at work or the Spirit of the world. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. That means what you confess will tell who you belong to. 
You are from God if you make true confessions about Jesus Christ. You are not of God if you don't make true confessions about Jesus Christ. But what does that word confession mean? We have to ask that question because Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, you could say the right things about Jesus and not know Jesus. Therefore, we have to ask this question, well, what does this word confession mean? I think 1 John 1 verse 9 will be of help to us because there John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John is not saying the mere words will bring forgiveness. Saying, I am sorry, will not just earn us forgiveness. John is encouraging Christians to own their sins. It must be real, sincere, honest, heartfelt, real godly grief. You understand that your sin has offended God and you grieve in humility before God. When your heart comes in contrition, owns sin before God, and you look to Jesus for mercy and forgiveness, you will taste His forgiveness. That's true confession. You will hate darkness and you will love light. In fact, you will walk in the light. This is true, genuine confession. So in chapter 4, verse 2, when John uses the word confess, he does not mean mere verbal declaration. Well, just because someone said Jesus Christ has come in the flesh does not mean that the Spirit of God is at work in him. And I know people who do that who say that they believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and they know what they mean. I don't think they do. I met a person the other day, and I asked him, well, why did Jesus come? And he said, Jesus Christ came to resolve my problems. And I know I am a Christian. When I asked, so how did you become a Christian? Well, I was born into a Christian family. That's not what John says. John doesn't say that your earthly birth equals heavenly birth. When you make such confessions, you are living a lie. So test. Test the spirit that is at work. But come back to the question, what does John be, mean by the word confession? Well, John means the same thing that he meant in 1 John 1 verse 9. When your heart is broken over the offense of sin, and when your heart realizes that it has no hope before God, and you begin to see Jesus, His life, His death, and His resurrection, and you run to Jesus for mercy and forgiveness, you cling to Him. You, the confession you make from such a posture of heart is the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. It comes from conviction of sin, reverence for Jesus, delight in Jesus, and it ends in glad submission to Jesus. When you witness that, you are witnessing the work of the Holy Spirit. 
This is true confession. In other words, in other words, if your heart's disposition towards sin and Jesus has not changed, after you confess Jesus Christ, you are not of God. John wants the church to discern the spirits that are at work in the hearts of men when people speak about Jesus Christ. Now, why is that important to the church? John answers that question in verse 1. He says, there are false prophets out there. They are false in that their message about Jesus is false. Their intention is to distort who Jesus is and to divert our attention to a different Jesus. The power that is at work in them is the spirit of the Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is the spirit that is hostile toward Jesus. It hates Christ. It misrepresents Jesus by speaking lies about Jesus. And the way the spirit function is, functions is by deceptively framing messages that will cause you to see a weak Jesus. You will think it is Jesus, but the Jesus they portray is an insufficient Jesus. And so you see them in chapter 2. They are in the church. They are mouth, the spirit of the Antichrist. They are mouthpieces. They are speaking in the church to God's people. But they left the church because their plans did not succeed. However, they're active outside the church. And you need to be careful of them. You need to discern them. You need to know if it is the spirit of God or the spirit of the Antichrist that is at work. So pay careful attention to the content of the confession. What is the content of true confession? John says that in verse 2. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. I want to read this again for us. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. This is the true confession about Jesus Christ. And John has so much to say about Jesus here. He says that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. And I want you to look at that phrase. It says, Jesus Christ has come. Do, do you see what that implies? It implies that he did not begin to exist now. He existed even before he came. So the one who existed from eternity has come in the flesh. He took upon himself human flesh, and so he is God and he is man. Well, that's what John said in chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, the word of life. We have seen him, we have touched, we have heard, life has been manifested, we saw him, God in the flesh, fully God and fully man. And there are people who say that Jesus is not God, that he was the first created being. John seems to be saying otherwise. John is saying that Jesus is God. He has no beginning and he has no end. And then there are those who say that Jesus only appeared as a man. But John seems to be emphasizing Jesus' humanity. He's fully God and fully man. Denying his humanity would have serious implications. 
if Jesus never became man. There is no fulfillment of prophecy. There is no identification with our suffering and pain. There is no obedient substitute for us. There is no shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. There is no redemption. There is no ransom. There is no forgiveness. There is no reconciliation. No atonement. No propitiation. No justification. No righteousness. No salvation. We are left hopeless without Jesus Christ becoming a man. We have no mediator. And we have no savior. You cannot be a Christian if you deny the incarnation of Jesus Christ. There is no salvation without the incarnation. There can be no salvation without the incarnation. Listen to me, friends. When a person says that Jesus Christ is a good teacher and a good guru, a good model who has taught us good things, we make him a Jesus that he is not. The spirit of the Antichrist creates such a Jesus, and there are thousands of people who follow that kind of Jesus. When a person says that Jesus is not God, but a created being, he has the spirit of Antichrist in him because he's making a mockery of Jesus. There are millions who embrace that view of Jesus Christ. And so on the basis of what John has written, may I ask, what is it that you believe about Jesus now? What confessions have you made about Jesus Christ? Is the Jesus you believe in the real Jesus? Is your confession, is the confession that you made, true confession according to John? If John says, your confession will tell you who you belong to. If John says that, your confession will tell you who you belong to. Who does your confession point to? The Spirit of God or the Spirit of the Antichrist? Now it's possible that there are some of you seated here now, today, who are deceiving yourselves, like my friend. You think you have made a true confession. Don't deceive yourself. In light of what John says, ask yourself, what does your Jesus look like? Is he the sufficient Savior, or is he a weak man? Please don't leave this place without knowing the real Jesus. Please. Jesus Christ is fully God and is fully man. He came, and he lived a life of obedience to his Father for us. And he died taking our sin upon us. He became sin for us. 
Death could not hold him. He rose again on the third day. He defeated sin and he defeated death. There is forgiveness for any sinner who comes to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith now. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Well, that's the first test. What is your confession? What is the second litmus test? This is in verse 5 and 6. The second test has to do with listening. Who do you listen to? How do you know the Spirit of God is at work? Well, John says, whoever knows God listens to us. If the test in verse 2 is about what people say, the test in verse 6 is about what people hear. And it is most probable that the us in verse 6 are the apostles. And John introduced himself with the apostles in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, as witnesses of Jesus Christ to the church. And so here, John seems to be saying, who you listen to is an indication of who you belong to. Who you listen to is an indication of who you belong to. If you know God, you will listen to us. Says John. The reason people don't listen to the apostolic witness of of Jesus Christ is because they are not of God. They don't want that witness. They don't want to hear that. But what does John mean by the word listen? According to John, it is a listening that agrees with God's revelation in Jesus Christ. It is a listening that believes in that believes that what is heard about Jesus Christ is true and therefore gladly submits to that revelation of Jesus Christ. It is a listening that allows the word to penetrate your heart and respond with obedience. It's a listening that allows the word to have an influence, to affect your will, your choice, your decisions, your perspective, and your affections. The listening that John talks about is the listening that humbly accepts what the apostles taught about Jesus Christ as true and necessary for faith and godliness. Such kind of listening, the listening that leads to obedience, is a witness of the work of the Spirit of God. Now, Jesus spoke about this in John chapter 8, verse 47. Listen to the words of Jesus. Whoever hears the words of God is of God. Whoever hears, listens to the words of God, is of God. The reason you don't hear them is that you are not of God. Well, the reason you don't want to listen to them or submit to them is because you are not of God. You don't know God. But he who is of God, he loves God's Word. He delights in it. He hungers after it. He knows it is food for his soul, and he obeys it. It is the listening of truth that results in obedience. That is the listening that John is talking about here. Now, the opposite is true of those who don't know God. So let me read verse 5 for us. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. 
their content, the false teachers, mouthpieces of the Antichrist, their content and perspective are worldly. Teachings of this world stem from the spirit of Antichrist. It is against God, and therefore anything that it teaches is intended to take you away from God. It will tell you lies about God, about man, about Christ, and about sin. People who listen to them are deceived. They are deceived by the God of this world. They think it is wisdom, but it is foolishness. They think it will save them, but it will destroy them. They think it is pure, but it is corrupted stuff. People who listen to them do not enjoy truths about Jesus Christ. Because Jesus exposes darkness. These people, they love darkness. In fact, they live in darkness. And they justify darkness. This is what happens when you listen to the spirit of error. Verse 6. But when you see listening about Jesus leading to obedience of Jesus, listening about Jesus leading to the obedience of Jesus, you know it's the spirit of truth that is at work. They are the ones who belong to God. And so may I ask us, who are you listening to now? There are tons of preachers out there who will lie to you about Jesus. That's why you should test the spirits that are behind their teachings. And I have to mention two of them because they touch on the person of Christ. Joyce Mayer. She said that Jesus Christ ceased to become God on the cross. Jesus Christ never ceased to become God on the cross. He was always God. He is God. <laughs> he, he became man. He was God-man on the cross. And God-man died on the cross. And God-man became sin on the cross. And God-man resurrected from the dead. And Joyce Mayer goes on to say that Jesus was the first person to be born again. Jesus? I thought we were the ones who were dead. Jesus should save dead people. Jesus died for dead people like us to save us. Jesus is God. And then there is another person. He may make you feel good, but let me tell you, he's not good for you. Joel Osteen. He does not preach Christ and sin faithfully. He preaches how you can be successful in this world, not how you can be saved from this world through Jesus. Be careful of the man who does not preach Christ and sin faithfully. There are thousands flocking around this man. John says, who you listen to will tell you who you belong to. Which spirit do you listen to? The spirit of truth or the spirit of error?
Well, for those of us who are struggling to understand who Jesus is, and you're thirsty for Jesus, I want to encourage you to go to God's Word and read through the first four Gospels. You have the true presentation of who Jesus is in God's Word. Read through Matthew, read through Mark, Luke, and John. We have a bookstall outside. If you're interested in reading through books, I want to encourage you to buy this book titled, Who is Jesus? The reason we have these bookstalls is so that you can have an access to good books, books that will point you to Jesus, to the Word. <laughs> There's a second book that I would recommend, What is the Gospel? And both these books will tell you truth about Jesus Christ by taking your attention to God's Word. Well, for those of us, for those of us who have trusted in Christ, repented of our sins, and who have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, let me ask us a few questions. Is your life marked by an increasing desire to obey Jesus? Because listening leads to obedience. Is there a growing desire in you to know God's Word? Do you enjoy meeting with Jesus in His Word? Or do you enjoy that? Do you abide in His Word? Does His Word abide in you? Are your prayers shaped by God's Word? Here's a, here's a question I want to encourage Redeemer Church members to ask each other after the service. What have you been learning about Jesus lately, and how has it changed your life? What have you been learning about Jesus lately, and how has it changed your life? So here are the two tests. What does your confession look like? Is it the true confession? Two, who do you listen to? But there's a verse I skipped, and that's verse 4. John makes an interesting point in verse 4, and I want to draw your attention to verse 4 of chapter 4. Well, friends, listening that leads to obedience and confession that leads to submission to Christ is not the fruit of our work. It is the fruit of God's work. So listen to the words of John in this text. By this, you know the Spirit of God. That's verse 2. Verse 6, by this we know the spirit of truth. So John seems to be saying that true listening and true confession cannot happen without the work of the Spirit. So it's the Spirit that causes us to see Jesus. We are blind people. We are under the deception of the devil. It's the Spirit who works in us, who opens our eyes to see Jesus and escape the deception of the evil one. Do you know what the Spirit does? He helps you see Jesus for who He really is, what He has done, and what He has offered. And then you will reject the devil for Jesus. Because the Spirit is at work, you and I will confess only Jesus can save. Jesus is enough. When that happens, you overcome the evil one. 
little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. So our faith in Christ and our confession of Jesus is the fruit of the Spirit's work, not ours. So we owe our confession, our faith, and our overcoming to the Spirit of God. That's why John's test is important. When you hear true confessions about Jesus Christ, it is an evidence that the Spirit of God is at work in your heart. You cannot overcome the evil one by your own strength. You have to have the Spirit of God open your eyes and help you overcome the evil one. You know, interestingly, in chapter 2, we, we, went, we went to chapter 2 sometime back, but I want to come back to chapter 2 again. In chapter 2, John talked about how the devil tried to distract the church from Jesus. You know, his agents, his mouthpieces told lies about Jesus, but the devil failed. The church held fast to Jesus. They stood firm. They did not abandon Jesus. They succeeded in overcoming the devil and his tactics. How? 4 verse 6. 4. He who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. So it was not because they were intelligent, but because he who was in them is greater than he who was in the world. The Holy Spirit is much greater and much more mightier than the devil. So they overcame the devil by the help of the Holy Spirit. But the warning in chapter 4 is quite interesting. It indicates that the church will face more attacks. They did face more attacks. And we face the attack of the evil one around us. The spirit of the Antichrist is active. And it will always continue to attack the church because it hates Christ and his people. It will do anything possible to deceive Christians. But have hope because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We may tend to think that we are greater ones in our Christian walk. Oh no, we are the weaker ones. We are weak before the deception of the devil, but God, the Holy Spirit, he who is in us is greater than our foe. Well, friends, the Spirit never abandons us. Never. He always remains in us. He helps us overcome the schemes of the devil by drawing our attention to Jesus Christ. I really don't think this is just a test about true doctrine, false doctrine. It is about faithful, obedient, confessional living. So every time we believe... We are trying to believe that every time we believe a lie, we're trying to believe the lie of the devil, the deception of the devil. Every time we worry, we believe the lie that God is not trustworthy. Every time we fear, we believe the lie that God is not sovereign. Every time we covet, we believe the lie that God is not good. Every time we sin in anger, we believe the lie that God is not in control. Every time we live in guilt, we believe the lie that Jesus' work is insufficient to save us. The devil loves us struggling in guilt. He loves to deceive us. Every time we love the things of the world, we believe the lie that we belong to this world. So pray. Pray. 
pray that the Spirit of God will help us overcome the schemes of the devil. We pray that the Spirit will help us see Jesus as more treasurable and satisfying than the things of this world. We pray because you and I realize that we need God to overcome the evil one. And God has given us himself. We pray because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We have hope. We can fight doubt and anxiety and fear and anger and loneliness and hatred and lust and all sorts of sin because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Cling to this promise. Hold fast to it. You need God to fight the deception of the evil one. I'm thinking of Bobby, one of our church members. who's constantly being attacked by the devil, encouraging him to believe that when someone hates you, you should return with hatred. But God does not abandon him. The Holy Spirit causes him to see the love of Jesus toward him. Mercy from heaven on the cross is what Bobby sees. And now Bobby wants to reach out in love toward the person who hates him. The Holy Spirit is greater than the deception of the evil one. I'm thinking of Francina, another church member, who struggles with doubt. She thinks God is not faithful. She's struggling, and so God can't be faithful. Where is God? And I'm hurting. And the Spirit of God causes her to see how Jesus, the great shepherd, cares for his sheep. When Jesus moves his people to call Francina and pray with her, and in the prayer, makes mention of God's faithfulness for her so that Francina does not sink in fear and in doubt. She is strengthened in hope because of Jesus. He who is in her is greater than her foe. I'm thinking of another mother who is a member of our church. Recently, she began to see mothering as a burden. She was angry and upset because of the responsibilities she had as a mother. She wanted comfort and freedom over the lies of the devil. And she was angry till she got it. Until the Holy Spirit helped her see how Jesus, her Savior, faithfully, joyfully, humbly went to the cross, abandoning comfort for her salvation. She repented of her sins, and she turned to Jesus. The, the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And he helps us see Jesus as more glorious and treasurable than the evil one. In all these cases, the Holy Spirit helped overcome the deception of the devil. He pointed them to Jesus, and they fled to Jesus. As I close, let me, let me ask us two questions. What is your confession about Jesus Christ right now? 
What does it say about you? Which spirit do you listen to? The spirit of truth? The spirit of error? You will cling to Jesus Christ, the God-man who died to save us from our sins. And by the work of the Holy Spirit, find him more desirable and satisfying than the deceptions of the devil. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the gift of salvation. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ, who became man and gladly chose to serve sinners like us by becoming sin on the cross, dying and rising victoriously for us, for our salvation. We pray, O Spirit of God, that you would be pleased to save people today to Jesus Christ, that the evil one will not prosper as the people here listen to the gospel. We pray that as we sing the next two songs about Jesus Christ, about his might, about his work, his mercy, and his forgiveness for us, that there is salvation in no other name but Jesus. We pray, O Spirit of God, that you would work in hearts this morning. And for those of us who are struggling with doubt and fear and guilt and anxiety, O Holy Spirit, because you remain in us and because you are greater than the work than the one in the world, Will you cause us to see the glory of Jesus and bring us joy? Gladden our hearts this morning, O Spirit of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.